Welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is your host, Mark Agustinelli. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Check them out for all your uh, staffing needs in this crazy world with the great resignation going on. Um, today's guest, um, killer podcast with my buddy Rocco DeRosa, who we talk about his um, experience of his family owning a bakery while he was growing up and him pursuing really two careers at the same time, a corporate one and one uh, guided by his passion for music. Um, and what I found really interesting about this podcast is that especially the first couple of minutes, you know, first 10 minutes or so, we're kind of warming up and getting into it. But the, the, the last meat of it, the last 80% of the podcast, we hit themes that come up in this podcast all the time, mentorship, relationships, ending up doing what you really wanted to do. And um, it's interesting to me because it's in an industry that's very, uh, just one that I'm not as familiar with familiar with being the music industry. So I love this podcast. It's full of gems. Check it out um, and let me know what you think. Thank you. Without further ado, Mr. Rocco DeRosa, welcome to Beers and Hey, hey cheers. cheers. Cheers to you as well. Cheers. Cheers. What, you you got, what do you got there? A little Beaujolais. What is that? Uh, it's a French wine, French red oh. wine. All right, look at you. Yeah, listen, it's a little early, you know, for uh, for for me to hit the tequila. I, I don't, I don't um, you know, blame you. I you know, I didn't want to go too far off the rails too soon. We got got stuff stuff to do later on today, so love it, you know, love it, love Beaujolais it. To, I heard go. I heard of French and Italian wine referred to as old world wine recently. Someone said they liked old world wine at a dinner. Yeah. And I was like, God, I don't know what that is. And it was like, oh, it's French and Italian. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I don't know why we can't just call it that, but cool. I mean, that sounds like somebody that doesn't know wine. Right? Or, like, do, so, or, so, or knows oh. much, or knows too much about wine. Right? <laughs> no, that, just, or that. Or that. Yeah, um, there's that too. Well, thank you for coming on Beers and Careers. Rocco and I know each other through a circuitous route that we will get to. But I, but before um, we dive into your story, we got to start with the rapid fires, give a, people a flair. Do it. For who you are, uh, what is your favorite cocktail or drink? Oh, tequila. Straight oh, up, straight, oh, so you weren't straight. What, and what yeah. kind? Well, I'm Grand Mayan Extra Añejo is okay. is probably my. If I was gonna like, you know, so money was no object, that yeah. would be that'd be where That's I'd go. One. Yeah, love it. And, and just uh, just a single one of the one of the nice big ice cubes. That's it. Love it. Yeah. Wow. First tequila guy, by the way. First tequila guy in the podcast. Really? Yep. Wow. Good guy. I, I love how... tequila, but I never yeah. would answer that as my favorite drink. So, well, you know, the thing about tequila is it is a very underrated sipping alcohol because most people have very bad experiences with it. Because when you're younger, you know, yeah. everybody wants it. tequila shot and it's yeah. not. And, and the stuff that you're shooting is like not it's not good right. stuff, you know. Right. So that's the truth. That's, that, is, yeah. that is the truth. Do you have a favorite curse word? Uh, by far, fuck. Uh, yeah. and, and again, it's, I, I mean, it's, you know, as it, we were talking earlier, it's, you, you're a Boston guy. It's like, it's an adjective and it's, it's, yeah. you know, it sounds very cliche, but it is, it is a reality. And, uh, it is, especially it here. very well may slip out in this, in this interview. I can make no promises. You are not, uh, it's not an interview. This is just a conversation. Oh, right, right. Conversation, a couple guys. Right. You're fine. You yeah, could ask me guys, questions couple too. There's a couple right. guys hanging out. What is your favorite guilty pleasure? Oh man, um, you know, do you have to be guilty to have a guilty pre- no, pleasure? This no. was stupid. I actually just stop asking this question. It's dumb. You know, I it's because I we I saw it and I was like guilty pleasure. Like I don't really feel guilty about some what's of the things. What's your favorite thing to do then that you would put in that category potentially? <sighs> you know, I like I like sci-fi movies sure. a lot. Yeah, you know, like. I don't know, like like we go on, like when you say sci-fi, like outside of the Star Wars saga. Yeah. yeah, like w- deeper, deep. Yeah, deep. yeah. I mean, like I like old sci-fi too, and yeah. like I, I don't know. It, it, it's always to me seemed to be one of the more creative genres. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 like you know, you get the rom-coms and you get the this and that, and I'm sure there are common plots and themes through all of them. But like I like I like outside the box. I mean, everything from Harry Potter to me could be yeah. could be sci-fi. Yeah. You know. Okay. So, cool. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you say sci-fi to people, and they're like, oh, he's a sci-fi. No, yeah. yeah, you're already so, a nerd, yeah. It's, I'm already a nerd, so it's You're fine. safe here. You're safe here. Yeah. Um, are you a quote guy? 
You like quote quotes? guy. Yeah, I mean, I like quotes. Yeah, cool. I like quotes. Do you, do you have a favorite one? One that comes to mind that you're considering yeah. recently? See, I'm a quote Consi- guy. Like, I think about him a lot. You know, there was one. There's. It's going to sound dumb, but there's this. Uh, there's this commercial that's on right now, and the quote kind of, kind of yeah. hit me recently. And uh, it's the. It's. It's like a. It's like these fathers um, talking about their daughters and like what they want to teach them. And it said, if there's anything better than being beautiful, it's being smart. And if there's anything better than being smart, it's being kind. And mm. to me, I. I don't know. I just. I always. I think that that's a that's a lesson for a lot of people and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially being in the in the industries that I've been in, where very often they put the beauty ahead of how good or smart or talented or you know it's it, I don't know kind of hit me a little a little that differently. Sells, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's I like that. I like that quote though. What and and on our way here, I'm going to ask you about your first job, but let's let's actually pause. Do you want to sure. give maybe the readers? I think it'd be best to just give the Reader's Digest version of like you went to school for X and now you're doing sure. Y and maybe how quickly you went through that transition and then we can unpack it from there and let people sure. know how you and I first got introduced. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, to start like at the at the beginning, just to, to give sort of context for later, um, I grew up a family of small small business owners. My parents owned a bakery for 35 years. I started running a cash cash register when I was eight years old. Um, always into performance. Um, had people telling me that I needed to get a job around music, but not actually in music. Went to college for engineering. Um, was a live sound engineer for multiple venues. Um, did some touring as a live sound engineer, all the while kind of being a musician and having my own projects on the side. Um, you know, at a certain point, you start needing needing more funds, and so get, get the day job, and that sort of put me on this path of um, technology uh, as a as a means to make a living. Because I've always, you know, just being an engineer, you, you're just inherently in in computers all the time, and you know things break, and so you have to figure out how to fix them. And so that's kind of how I started down that path. And then the to where we kind of ended up, um, I was touring, and my drummers uncle lives just outside Manhattan. And, uh, I was in between jobs at the time. I'd actually just left Fidelity Investments and, um, they wanted me to come on as a, um, as a, cons- uh, um, customer service representative, 20 hours a week, uh, from the tour bus. So I was able to do that sort of remotely. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then that turned into project management and then that turned into consultative sales and then, you know, we, we can go on from there, but it's, it's been, um, you know, you have multiple paths as a, as a, as a musician, you know, you, you're, you're always sort of stoking the flames of trying to keep music going. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to make a, a good living, even just doing that, but, you know, I've got other interests and I've just never been the kind of person to sit still for very long. So. Hmm. So do you feel like on the music front, um, do you feel like you said people told you to get a real job and not like only do the music thing? Do you feel like that was bad advice? You know, for a long time, I thought it was bad advice. Yeah. Um, and when I first started playing music, I think that I wonder what the trajectory of my career would have been. It's funny because like the only two people in my life that told me to not go to college and to um, find the best music teacher around and playing music were my parents. Wow. And okay. I was surrounded by people, you know, everybody from guidance counselors to teachers to even some music teachers that I was working with at the time um, that, you know, s- said the opposite. And, you know, I kind of got fed the you got to go to college. So I ended up going to a college that's actually now defunct um, hmm. for, for a number of reasons. But from Mount Ida? Um, yeah, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, New England Institute of uh, of Art and Technology. It okay. was in Brookline, um, and it was a great school. But they had—I don't know exactly what ended up happening. Yeah. But um, ultimately, um, I'm happy that I went for engineering um, in in a lot of ways because, you know, at the time I started playing music, they were they were very segregated 
in terms of you had your engineers that were all engineers and that was all they knew and it was the technology side of things and then you had your musicians and all they knew was you know music how to play instruments how to write produce all that and um you know nowadays it's um everybody does everything and and i feel like because i started so long ago you know technology's advanced so much that you know any idiot with a freaking macbook pro can you know make a song or whatever yeah. and uh and you know that's that's all well and good but like to get into the nitty-gritty of like how how to be an engineer you know you have to dig deep these days to to really learn about miking techniques and you know gain staging and all of these fundamentals that like people just they don't know anymore so i don't know it's a long way of saying that like i think that uh the industry has had a, a huge impact on on um people's careers and it's changed so dramatically since 2001 um that when i first decided i wanted to be a musician was probably 13 or 14 and uh i graduated high school in 2001 so um you know it was it was a, a period of time you know probably five years following napster that um people were still trying to figure out you know what that was going to mean and how the industry was going to change um and you know you, you fast forward uh you know another 20 years and uh you know the the ip um law is is no further along but now we have even more ways of getting music for free so the industry has gone from you know sort of the gatekeepers um being able to you know pick and choose who they wanted but you know people working hard enough and knowing that the piece of pie that they were shooting for was a significant piece. And mm -hmm. so when they got there, they could have one hit and it would mean that their career was funded basically forever. Um, yeah, and, and, and now, and now, yeah. yeah, exactly. And now it's just, um, they're so undervalued, uh, and, 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 you know, not just music, but music is the, is the biggest, um, you know, is, is hit the hit the hardest. Yeah. It's it. one of the more obvious examples for all of, um, all of us, right? Because like yeah. in other industries, you don't really relate to it, but almost everyone listens to music. So yeah. we all kind of get a flair for it. Do you think not to get like wicked deep with you here, you know, yeah. three minutes in, but like, do you think social media has leveled that playing field to a degree, like in a good way for musicians or has it made it worse? I don't, I think it's made it worse. Um, How so? uh, well, because. I'll give you an example. Um, when think back to when you were, I don't know, the first ever CD or record or whatever it was. It was. I know it was. What was it? What was it? Was it was Chumba Wumba was my first album I was given. And you know what? At a birthday party. And and let me ask you. It was it a CD? It was a CD. And was it the full length CD? It was. And did you listen to the full CD? I did. And 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 that's exactly my point is okay. that uh, the the thing that the thing that I love about records, I love records. You know, it sounds cliche, musician loving records. Yeah. But what, I, what I love about it beyond <laughs> yeah, beyond true. the audio true. beyond the audio quality differences is that it forces you to listen to things that you may otherwise just skip over quick quickly because it doesn't, maybe it doesn't resonate with you right away. And so there's this whole digestion period that I, I feel like in music doesn't exist anymore because you can get what you want like that. And so I feel like it's made people a lot more shallow um, with their music tastes because they can jump on a playlist and they have all these AI algorithms that are just going to, grab the next song that has, you know, piqued your interest and they know they've quantified it to the point that they've taken um, all the guesswork out of, out of it. And I just feel like um, it's created uh, a, a lot more emotionally shallow people in my own personal For opinion. Their music. No, I, For, you're, their, a pure, you're a purist. You're a purist in that regard, which I, yeah. which I don't, which I don't think is wrong, but, but do you think that at least for the musician making the music, and, and and maybe to your point, they don't have to make as much or have to think it through as much because they're always right. after hits. But don't you think at least they've got the opportunity to monetize it a little bit differently? Uh, no, I mean, the monetization, and I don't have the exact numbers, so don't quote me on this. But I know that yeah. about two years ago, um, Mariah Carey broke the single day 
streaming record. It was something like 100 million streams on uh, on Spotify. And do you want to know what her paycheck was for that single day? 100 million streams. 100 million streams. I'm gonna get. Uh, I don't get. I'm gonna guess a shitty number because of the way you're saying it. Yeah. But 20 bucks. Yeah. 20 bucks. No, no, come on. I mean, it was 60k for 100 yeah. million. But yeah. but uh, somewhere in, the, in still, that ballpark. Still, I mean, that is 20 bucks to Mariah Carey. Yeah, exactly. And 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 my point being that like, um, you know, I have friends. I love them to death. Uh, and they're wonderful musicians and they, and they're successful for what successful can be these days. Uh, but you know, they live years ago, you know, you didn't have to live 270 days a year in a van. You know, you could, mm. you could do a year and then have two years to create a record or whatever, or you could do two or three months at a time and then have two months off and, you know, sort of recharge or keep, keep recording. But now it's like they've, to me, the, there's this whole concept of, that's been around forever as musicians and it's called pay to play. You know, when I was younger, it was the, these big promoters that would come along and they would rent these huge venues and they would basically force you to, to buy your own tickets and then sell them at a, you know, you could sell them higher. And to me, this is, this is the same thing. It, there's, there's no difference. They, they're selling uh, exposure to a, to artists who are just inherently, just inherently undervalue themselves to begin with. Right, because uh, and the market just, creates that because there's yeah. so much supply. That's yeah. wild. I get yeah. that. I totally. So who, so who like from your perspective, do you look up to and gain inspiration from in the music business today? Like who's doing it the way you love? I don't think anybody has. I don't, so the thing is, is, and, and you know, when I, when I was growing up, you know, I've, I've gotten to, I mean, I've worked hundreds of concerts, everybody from Eric yeah. Clapton to Aerosmith to, you know, the huge, huge names all the way down to like very, very small venues. Yeah. And um, the thing that the thing that that bothers me a lot about the way that the industry is these days is that um, and, and a lot of it is is localized uh, based on, um, you know, the clientele like in, in, yeah. in Boston has this history of not necessarily being the most welcoming music place for people to come and see. But yeah. or, or, I, or just in general. Yeah. It's not a welcoming community of people. It, it, but, but you know, like the first one of the first huge concerts that was like like a, a total life changing experience for me was um, I saw you two at the old Boston Garden. OK. And it was, um, you know, you two love them or hate them. Their live show is out of control uh, mm. and especially their older live shows. It, it's it's like a it's like. Uh, you know, hate to say it, but it's like a, it's like a religious experience. You know, yeah, it's no, like I, I get you go that. and you have Sorry, all of these people that are so invested in every nuance of this artist's career that it's like this big love fest that happens. And um, you know, think think about now all of the tours that come through. Do you see many tours where there are singular headliners that give? a younger band that nobody knows an opportunity to come in and be an opener that no one knows. Nowadays, a lot of these concerts, they're double bills, triple bills of big bands because you just don't get the same kind of support that, that you used to get. That makes and, sense. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, you know, I'm speaking, uh, I hate to like, I don't, I'm not a jaded musician. I hate to sound like that. I love music. Um, I, you know, the industry itself, I feel like hasn't protected artists, um, historically, they've never, they've never. Done. I mean, if you go back yeah, to copyright right, law, right, I mean, right. co copyright law. You know, up until a few years ago, you're still functioning off copyright law that had breakage fees, which is basically when records were shipped, they had they had a percentage of the of the records that they had to account for because when they're shipping, they would break because they were made out of yeah. shellac. Right. And and they never took that. You know, it's just, there's just so much abuse to to artists, whether it's from the record labels or it's from um, you know, just just uh, the consumers not not being aware. It's I mean, it's tough to blame the consumers because they're just buying what you know. And I, and and I also led you down a path of like speaking more cynically about the musical industry because like this is how you and I met was I got engaged to my wife. I uh, started looking for uh, the one advice I'll give anyone if you're going to get married at all, get a freaking live band. OK, like you Amen. want to talk about like it, there's there's just no better use of dollars in the whole wedding fiasco industry. 
yep. than getting a live band. And I remember going uh, someplace in Somerville and going to a wedding band showcase and you guys were there. And I remember being like, those people love music. Yeah. Right. Like that was like, yeah. I, it was like, I, I dig that sound. And so um, that's how we eventually got connected together. And then like, I will admit like the cynical nature of being in business and planning a wedding with my wife. It's like, well, what are you going to get? Cause like it's this person's job and like, how is that going to go? And then on our wedding day, I mean, I, you guys know how I feel about you. It was, a, it was a time. It was the most talked about thing about our wedding was the band and the dance floor and that, and you and I kind of hit it off eating some Ben and Jerry's ice cream after, <laughs> you know, just shoot the shit. Um, but you're, so like, you don't have to tell me, I know you love, love, love music. And uh, it's been really cool to see you. We've stayed connected since then. Yep, um, yes, we have. And, and thank you. Thank you for such uh, kind words. It's a, uh, it's very nice to, very nice to hear. I, I no, it's cool. it. Well, it's like everyone's job. There's a part of everyone's job that sucks. I mean, yeah. like everyone's job's got a part that's kind of shitty. And, and I think that, um, it's really evident. And I, maybe it's, it's like becoming even more clear to me as I get older, but like it's really evident when people like what they do. Yeah. You know, like when they genuinely like it, it's like, yeah, yep. there's all this other stuff I have to do. And you could tell that you guys loved it. So, um, yeah, we, we've been very. We, well, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, uh, my pitch to people getting married, anyone that's listening, is that uh, nobody cares where you get married. <laughs> you know, or what I, you it, it's the, or, or what, what you eat. eat. I mean, yeah. I, to me, to me, if I was going to rank it, 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 you know, and I'm biased, but it, definitely the music comes first and, and then the food, because those are the two things that people will remember. But they're going to remember that they had a good time. You yeah. know, I mean. You can have the greatest steak on the planet, but like, are you going to sit there for six hours and with people that you don't know and like twiddle your thumbs while, you know, you, you, you I don't know, you're not having a good time. So They're going to remember that. So true. No, so, so, so very cool. That's how we stay connected. So how did you, how, like, and you've talked about your path throughout, you started obviously growing up in the small business with the bakery, but then you mentioned fidelity, you mentioned the customer service rep, like talk to me about the balancing act of Two simultaneous careers, so to speak, right? Yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, when I first was in college, um, I started uh, with, so I was at this accelerated program and it was an associate's degree and it was, um, it was like a 16 or 18 month program or whatever. And they had this internship at uh, Great Woods Tweeter Center, Xfinity yeah. Center. I don't know what they call it these days. They've changed yeah. names a billion no times. But I think you're right. I think it's Xfinity. I think it might be Xfinity now. Yeah. Um, but they had this internship through my school, and it was to run the B stage. You know, when you walk in yeah. on the left-hand yeah. side, and there's yeah. that outside. So I was an intern there. Um, and within a couple weeks, um, one of the head promoters there, uh, Tim McKenna, uh, you know, I don't know whether he really liked me or thought I was doing a good job, but he like gave me that stage and, and hired me, uh, on main stage. Uh, and that turned into like sort of, um, you know, being a stage hand and learning about the rebuild that was happening. And I got befriend befriended by the house engineer that was there and he sort of took me under his wing and I've had a lot of really great, um, uh, mentors, uh, and, you know, I, I always loved playing music. I always had an original band going even throughout all of this, but ultimately what ended up happening for me was the original band started to do so well that I couldn't do the engineering anymore because they were mm. happening at the same time. And so, you know, I, I got to a point where if I, if I wanted to keep playing music, I needed to free up my nights and weekends so that I could be the one performing. And I, I just couldn't find work in the field that wasn't, I mean, it's a, it's a grueling career. I mean, it's, it is, you know, I was, I was often there at 6am for a load in and I would work until 3pm and then I would have a break until show call. If I was working show call at seven and then, you know, seven until 3am. And then I, you know, I was sleeping in the parking lot because uh, I lived too far from there if I was working back to back nights. And so it just got to a point where it was not sustainable. I, I couldn't do it. And so I, I reached out to a family friend and, I was sort of like lost. I didn't know what, what I was going to be doing at that point because um, working in a recording studio is very similar um, where, you know, 
at the time people were, you know, big artists would come in and they would take entire weeks or months and like, you know, you basically lived there with them and it was their home and that was what they did. And so there was no way for me to still do to do both. And so I just decided uh, I'm going to find a day job and I'm going to I'm going to push the shit out of this band and let's see what happens. And the family friend worked at Fidelity and uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I got a call from him and he was like, well, we're going to get you. We got your job in uh, tech support uh, running their my streetscape and streetscape and um, uh, Reuters, Thompson Reuters. And he said, he said, if you just don't show up naked, you've got the job. I already talked to the guy. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> what so, a good friend. Yeah, uh, so I was like, all right. So not naked this time. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this time. <laughs> this time. so, uh, so yeah, so I, I started working there and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was a decent gig and I had a great group of people and my, my manager was awesome. And like, it was the kind of place to like, I was on an inbound call desk and I was dealing with yeah. inbound emails. Yeah. And so like, you know, as much as I was client facing, like I wasn't in front of anybody yeah. and, uh, you know, if my work wasn't, you know, particularly fast and I would often take their the 12 to eight shifts on days that I was, you know, not, um, not gigging. And I would, you know, the market closed at four 30 and from four 30 to eight, it was a ghost town. Everybody left, they were wow. out the door. And so I would sit and practice guitar in the, in the cubicles, uh, oh, and, uh, and just wait for the phone to ring and answer some emails. And then, you know, on my way, but ultimately the band started to do so well. Uh, and I, I started busking on the side, uh, in the subway, and I was making, you know, almost the same amount of money doing that per day as I was. And so I was, so I left, I left, I drove a cab, uh, sporadically and, uh, and played, uh, music in the subway and at, uh, MBTA stations and, uh, and then just played original music and any gigs that gigs that I could. And, uh, yeah, that was sort of like how I, how I, you know, it's always been a juggling, but like, you know, you get to a point where the music is supporting you and, and you have to take a chance and, you know, supporting you is a very loose, loose term in the music industry at that stage. But, um, but, you know, I was making enough to support myself and, and play music. Yeah. How long, how long were you doing that for? Like after the post fidelity days when you're kind of making it all work about, I did that for about two and a half years. Um, Pretty good, three, man. Three years. Yeah. And you know, a, a lot Boston of th- winters in there. Oh man. Yeah. It was, Yeah. Yeah, busking in the winter in the subways is, is fun. That's cool. But like, what did you get? Flat? Oh, you sounds like you'd really supportive parents. Did you get like flack from people for like leaving the Fidelity Safe gig? No. No, nah, I mean, yeah, they knew. And and you know, my parents are like the two most supportive people you'll ever meet. They're they're awesome. they're like they've always been been you know whatever wild and crazy pipe dream i have they're they're usually either driving or in the back seat so yeah okay you know they're 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 awesome you know um i i really didn't have much pushback from from people when when i left it was you know their their whole thing is you know i i've supported myself my my whole life you know we we owned a bakery but like you know my parents we we had a lot of people living in our house I, i'm one of four my grandfather was sick. My grandmother was in a wheelchair. My uncle was sick. His family was living. So my parents were, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and, and I've been supporting myself for a long time. And so, you know, they, they're really, their whole thing is like, are you happy? You know, do you have food on your table? You have a place to live? Like, okay, then you're doing, you're doing all right if you're doing something you love. And so hmm. that was sort of their stance on it. Do you think that helped? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Absolutely. You know, I took it for granted, I think, a lot. Uh, and, and I, oh. you know, there's, like I said, you know, there's a big part of me at times that um, wishes I listened to them from the word go and, and, and just got the lessons and, you know, did, did, the, did music from, from the word go like that. Because, you know, you, the, the biggest thing, I think, you know, the country is seeing it, too, is how crippling student loan debt can be. And, and you kind of get sold things along the way. And, and you know, I feel like when you and I were going to, going to school, it was like, that was the push. Everybody, you had to go to school. You weren't going to make money that, that like, and, and to me, it was all, it's, that's all bullshit. I mean, it like, and, 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 and I think that, um, you, you know, obviously not everybody's as fortunate. I, I feel like maybe I, I was to have the support structure I had around me and the good teachers around me. And there's, there's value in that going to school and, and, and getting exposed to things that maybe 
you don't have in your in your own backyard. Uh, so maybe there's value there. But like I had all of those things and I was already a self-starter and I didn't need someone to tell me what to learn or how to think or, um, you know, what to study. I knew what made me motivated. And so I just, you know, mm. I, I, I wish that I, I a big part of me wishes that at least for the first part of my life that I had done that and not put myself in the position that I was in, because, you know, the whole reason you need the day job is because, you know, you're 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 you can't afford the life that you have, you know, and mm. so. Yeah, it's so. It's, it's, it, it's no, it's a really interesting point, because I, I completely agree with everything you just said. And we get so competitive here in the States that the, uh, you know, that whole 1%, you know, you're in the top 1%. It's like, yeah, well, you know, you live in the United States of America and make more than like $15,000 a year and you're in the top 1% of the world. Yeah. But we just yep. don't have the perspective of what is what. And I, I get wrapped up in it too. It's a, it's an interesting thing. It really makes me think as someone who has a seven and a four year old. Yeah. You know, like, and how, how that is being shaped, if you will. Well, you know, it, what's interesting is like, so I, I'll, I just started watching, um, uh, this is going to, th- you know what? This might be my guilty pleasure. I might take back the sci-fi thing. Oh, come <laughs> back. What is it? What is it? Um, life below zero. Oh yeah. Uh, in Alaska. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, but here's, but here's the thing. And here's, here's what's been, here's what's been, I'm so happy that you, that reality you like, uh, are, on, are, are on board with that. I, I don't, I, I'm really not like a reality TV kind of person at all, but what I love about that show is that the people that are on it are, they're showing you what you need to live. Yes. I, I feel the way, same way, but I, a little bit more on the Alaska, the last frontier. With the Kilcher okay. family, have you seen them? Yeah, I, I have seen setting? that. One. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree though. It's like this is what actually matters. This is what, but this is what you actually need. Like this is this. Like you can survive with just this. Yes. And yes, and I, you know, and I I I I'm not saying like maybe that's not for everybody. everybody's comfort level different. And, and and certainly like you know I I kept day jobs going because I had you know a, a cushy life and I wanted to keep yeah. the things that I had. And I'm not I'm not sliding that at all. But at the same time, like, you know, with no debt, making 40 or 50 thousand dollars a year as a full time musician with smart financial sense at 18, I would have been at 19. I'd have been fine. And who knows how that would have multiplied, you know. Uh, But, uh, you know, you get sold the the idea that, like, you know, if you don't go to college, you're going to make. Or yeah. You're gonna make 1.5 times more than you would if you didn't, or whatever the numbers are. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but so, anyways, you know. No, it's a, good, it's a really good point. So, actually, why I'm such a big fan? Are you a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk? I'm not sure who that is. Gary Vaynerchuk is a uh, marketing leader, influencer kind of thing. He actually grew up running his parents' wine business in New Jersey and really worked really, really hard and has built an empire. But uh, he's big on like. Don't go to college unless you really want to go to college. And yeah. If you can afford the luxury and you're doing it for the other reasons, that's fine. But just like yeah. calling things for what they are and, yep. and also like the definition of happiness being what you want to accomplish. Like yep. His point being, well, yeah, there's a lot of people who make a million dollars a year who hate, their, who hate their fucking lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, all, all money does is just amplify the problems that you already have. I mean, it doesn't so make things better. Um, and, you know, there's a there's sort of like the transition for me in my career is I've always been a very ambitious person and I've had huge dreams and I've wanted to do so much with, with my music. And, um, there's a book that, uh, you know, I've read on and off. Um, I forget the art author's name, race something, but, uh, I have it over here. Dalio. Um, uh, Dalio. Yeah. Principles. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, so there's a great, um, part of it where he, where he talks about like, there, there are two things that, that, um, you know, two ways to live your life. You can, and I'm paraphrasing, but, um, you can live to make an impact or you can live to be happy. And sometimes those, and sometimes those things can work together and sometimes they can't. And, um, you know, for me, I always felt like my music was going to make an impact and, um, you know, it's interesting. So it wasn't, you weren't operating out of doing it for yourself because you loved it. I, you know, I, I was for, to a certain point, 
right? Yeah. So it's kind of like they were working together for a long time. Okay. And then it started to peel off where it was no longer because because it wasn't having the impact that I thought it was going to. It was it was the impact was what was what making what I thought was making me happy. Right. So mm. it almost felt like I wasn't doing it necessarily fully for myself as I should have. Uh, and so. Yeah. So, I mean, I just got to a point where where I am now, like, you know, I I've got a record that. I'm finishing, um, you know, I got the wedding band, which, you know, does 20, 30 weddings a year is, you know, almost all direct referrals at this point. I do no advertising. Um, and then, you know, I've got, got my day job at a company that totally supports my outside, uh, life and, and expects me to be invested in other things and likes it. I mean, I was hired by them predominantly because the owner loves music and it was his nephew. And he was like, how can I support this guy? And then just happens that, you know, I'm not a bad guy. So they, yeah, yeah it worked out. You know? That's awesome. And so, so and you yeah. Boomerang and you boomeranged to that company, correct? You were there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what, why'd you end up leaving there? Well, you know, um, they were going through a period of growth and they've been a remote company, like since the inception in 2000, okay. And, um, and they've had, you know, they've had a main office, but like not everybody worked there. Yeah. Um, and you know, they were sort of revolutionary in that where they were like, we don't need them to to live here. But what ended up happening was they brought in someone as an interim CEO because we were doing so well. And, uh, some decisions were made, I think, to, um, try to bring people in house. But also I was at a point where I was finishing my, I had gone back to school to finish my degree at Berkeley College of Music. And, uh, I was, um, you know, doing really well there and heavily invested. And, you know, my job with CWS, I always took it, you know, seriously, but like it wasn't at the time, it wasn't my career path. It wasn't what made me go. And I think they knew that. Uh, and, you know, they, they, I ended up getting laid off. They gave me a nice severance package and, you know, everything was amicable and it yeah. was fine. Obviously, but it just, just so happens that I, I, uh, you know, two months later was the pandemic. No way. Oh, yeah. So you were like, I'm getting laid off, but that's fine because I'm graduating from Berkeley. So I'm sinking yep. my teeth into these new endeavors. Yep. I'm yeah, going to go a different place. Wow. I didn't realize all that time. Yeah, I got. I got laid off in um, beginning of November, severance to mid January. Yeah. Uh, I once I got laid off, I I was um I was about ten classes away from graduating. Mm-hmm. I tested out of six and took four to okay. graduate wow. in May. Uh, oh, and so damn. I, so I I um I was relying solely. I was a um, a house musician at Mastro's Ocean Club. Um, three days a week and it was great pay. And, um, you know, the clientele there, I had a good relationship with, and there's a lot of money there. So I was doing fine. I was supporting myself enough between Mastro's and weddings and solo gigs and, you know, doing sort of the GB thing that like, I knew I just needed to get until May to finish this bachelor's degree. And then I was going to be at the time I was trying to get into PWC. And that was, that was the, the sort of the, my downstairs neighbor, who uh, is a partner there was like, you do great here. You know, it's very people centric and, you know, you do great in front of people and I could see, you know, you're a good problem solver and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, but they got, went to a hiring freeze. So I graduated Uh, in May in the middle of a pandemic and I was basically out of work mm. from March of 2020 until um, March of 2021. Yeah. And then you got the job at PwC. And then I got the job at PwC, yeah, as a senior associate in the delivering deal value, uh, the deals department, so mergers and acquisitions. Mm. Oh wow, that must have been an education. Which <laughs> that was education by fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and you know I I I'm very grateful for my experience there. I mean I learned more. Like I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, and uh, I. You know, I at the time, once I graduated I, and I was like looking for a day job, I actually went and I got my scrum master certification and I thought um, maybe I would start down that path because, you know, I, I love record producing. And to me, like the scrum masters from the outside look like the record producers yes. of yeah. 
Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're the people that like, you know, they oversee the project and they have to, you know, get rid of the roadblocks and they have to teach people to ask the right questions. And, you know, so like that was sort of the path that I thought I was going to be headed down. Um, and then that turned into the senior associate role at, at PwC. And I learned I learned a ton there. Um, but ultimately, like the lifestyle that that is expected of a consultant was just so different than I thought it was it was mm. going to be. Um, and I'm really grateful for all the lessons that I learned there. But, you know, my role there was not client facing enough for me. And I didn't realize until I was locked in a basement because of the pan- not only because of work, but because of the pandemic. Right. I mean, I'm a social person. I'm used yeah. to being on stage. I love to meet people. Um, you know, I feel like that's like one of my biggest strengths. And here I am in a basement yeah, working on spreadsheets, building, you know, business proposals and not even being on the meetings that I that this stuff was being delivered for. Uh, and uh, and so I just I went to my old boss and I just said, like, how can I use what uh, at, at CWS? I said, how can I use, you know, what I learned here and how can I apply it to get into? I thought I wanted to get more into like the relationship management side because I just felt yeah, like people. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted and and I just um I I just started to realize things about myself that like I didn't fully, I guess, get. Uh, until going through this and it's like I've always been that person you know I mean eight years old at a register you don't just put some kid that can't converse yeah. with adults there uh, you know and and that's always been sort of my role is the mouthpiece right I mean I'm the wedding singer I'm the whatever so I uh, but like I also um, the same thing happened in the wedding band side I, I got I got bamboozled into being a wedding singer probably around the time that I met you mm. uh, and uh, I didn't want to do it. And I did it, you know, cause I needed the money. And what I started to realize is that, you know, I, the value that I got from it was exactly what I get from our relationship. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I'm friends with a lot of the people that, that I've played weddings for. And it's not, mm. Uh, it, it doesn't take a lot of effort. You know, it's like I, I for whatever reason, we've been very lucky to attract a lot of people that like understand why we do what we do. And uh, they trusted us and things went off well. But like, you know, it's about building those relationships and maintaining those relationships. And it's like the world is especially with the Internet, and especially people, I think, are realizing it even more now with the way that everybody has to work. It doesn't pay to be an asshole. You know, no. yeah, it's just funny. It, you don't you don't think of like the wedding band industry as a relationship business at first go like yeah as an outsider it makes so much sense you said earlier all your business comes from referrals today and i mean we're living proof that it is so i mean <laughs> shut up shut up mark to a degree but that's um dude that's really cool so so he so then he just says your old boss just says well just come back yeah well what was crazy was he asked me you know i i was in a position where obviously i was it was a year of no income you know, yeah. I was, I, you yeah. know, my, thank God I had my fiance. Cause like, I don't know what I would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a very, very hard time. And, and so, you know, I was making great money at PwC and I was finally starting to dig myself out. And like, I just didn't think that I didn't even go in with the intention of asking him because I didn't think he would be able to, yeah. to come up with it or at least come up with a plan for me to, to make that. And, you know, he was like, he was like, well, you know, it's kind of funny that you, uh, called me because I am, uh, I'm the president now at the time he was just, he was VP of sales and mm. he's like, I'm, I'm the president now. And, um, you know, what would it take to get you to come back? Cause I could, I could use your help. I need you to come and be a better me is what he told me. Mm. You know, like, I, he's oh, like, cool. I need, I need, and Eric is, so you've got your relationship management job all in all at the end of the day. Wild. Yep. yep. Dude, I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, I knew, you know, you went, I knew you went back, but I didn't know it was like for exactly what you wanted. That's yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing about the other thing about like a place like CWS Software that I'm at now versus PwC is that coming from a family of small owned business, right? CWS is not a huge company, you know, about yeah. 40 people, yep. you know, does quite well. Uh, I won't go into numbers, but we do well, but it's, it's, there's something about 
the ability at a small company for me to be able to bring value is allowing me to wear the hats that I can wear. You can and see more, you see more impact doing more things. Yep. Yeah. For, for me, it does. I mean, you know, at, at, at PwC, I was in Excel sheets all day long. I barely talked to anybody. Uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lot about modeling and, you know, EBITDA and everything yeah, under the sun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is, uh, which is a great education. Valuable. Yeah, valuable, very valuable. Immensely valuable. And I didn't go to college for business. So, you know, yeah. essentially that portion of my life is what put me into the, you know, the role that I'm, I can have now. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, working for CWS, there's something about feeling invest, like truly invested in the company that you're working for. And not that people necessarily aren't at PwC, but you don't, you don't get that like warm. You just, for me, you don't get that warm, fuzzy feeling. It's, like it's, less it's one thing to put a brand. It's one thing to put a brand on, right? It's it one is. thing to put put a brand on and say like, I work at PwC, but that's about that's about like what you look like to the outside, right. like. And I don't and I don't think that that is sustainable. And for, for me, you, for you, yeah, for, for you. me, right. like yeah. for me, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, right. I, I, yeah, but like for no, me, I, I, I completely agree. With, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I completely understand what you're saying because. I live that the same way in my in my world. Like I don't know, I don't know how I would have done. There are a lot of pieces times in my career. Actually, the CEO and owner said this to me because I wish you worked at a bigger company and I wish you cut your teeth somewhere else. And at times I was like, shit, he's he's never really steered me wrong. Like probably I should have done that. But I don't think I would have liked it at all. Yeah. Like, I think I would have done it and I would have sucked it up. And I, I think going through a pandemic at a big company for me would have been horrific because I, yeah. I, I really struggle being told what to do. Um, <laughs> like just day in and day out. Dude. It's like, give me, give me rules and I'll break them. But, yeah. uh, yep. but I, you know, but I need them. I crave rules, but I break them. So it's like, it's a very interesting, um, dynamic. So I totally get what you say because. You know what made me think of it? Tuka Rask retired this week. I'm a big I hockey saw. guy. Me and, too. And, it, and he said in his interview, he said, um, they said, when did you make the decision to try to rehab and come back? Tuka Rask got injured for those of you who are hockey players, and he decided to still come back. He was not on the Bruins roster, but he stayed with the team the entire time, affiliated with the team. And he goes, you know what? For me, it was never about playing professional hockey again it was playing again with Bergeron and Marshawn and those guys and I thought to myself I was like that's how I feel at work yeah it's not about the work anymore it's about accomplishing it with these people yep and and and, and the impact that we're all making in each other's lives and I think you I think you get that probably at a big company I think it probably takes much longer to feel like you're making that impact and it's just a different there's just a different level of how people approach it it's just what is good for you and i think yeah you know you're yep. on the phone on the phone right now but we're recording right now two guys who appreciate old school small business to a degree yeah yeah, I think, yeah. And I, think, I think that's accurate and i think that um you know i'm sure that there are people that can be happy at at, at large organizations and i would say that um it, i think it's harder as a fully remote employee too because the amount, I'll tell you the biggest handicap that I had taking on the role that I did at PwC was that I I didn't have the water cooler conversations where I oh. could pick up on all the nuances of a field that I was new in and and you know just the little side conversations that like anybody that is a good you know learner through osmosis is in a room with the people having the conversation, you're reading body language, you're reading, you know, well, the words that they're using, you're looking at when they're looking at something like there's so much that you learn. And maybe that's just me as a musician, too. Like, I'm so hyper aware of what everything is feeling like around me and what's happening the in the room that like that's how you learn to emanate those things so that when you're in front of those people again, or when you're in the role that you're seeking to, you have that sort of body language, that like muscle memory of what that feels like on like an energy level, mm -hmm. a thought level. And, uh, you know, it was impossible, Im impossible. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't even being pulled into the, the deliverables meetings. So mm -hmm. like the, the things that I was building, 
it would go off and it it would get all the checks and everything would be fine and it would hit whoever's desk and they would pick it up and you know they may change things i didn't see until later and i don't know why and and i would know why if we were in an office potentially you know yes. i would know yeah. i would know why because we're in the meeting and oh she took that out i wonder why i can ask that question later on you know so it it's extremely hard i think and i feel for people that are um that are you know, of any age, uh, in any industry, trying to make their way uh, in this in this world where that's just a big, it's just a big big disadvantage um, for people trying to learn. It's one thing if you know your it's job. A trap. It's a trap. I think. I think yeah. it's a trap. I think it. I think it looks sexy. Uh, it looks particularly sexy, but I think it's funny to hear you say that because we talk about it a lot in our company with younger people in particular about career immersion. It's like yeah. you're you're not just here for the job because you really the, the thing that people don't I don't think understand is that. And, and, and your story is kind of living proof of this, as I think is mine, is you generally you generally don't get paid for the job you're doing. Yeah, you get paid for the job you just did. And yeah. so, like, you're always ex- you're always extending yourself further than you're actually receiving. And and I this is how I think about it and conceptualize it in the view of that that will pay me back later in life. It's like going to the gym for me. I don't yes. get I don't I'm not fitter when I leave, but I compound that interest yep. and then I'm fitter in the future. And I think the world is like that, especially the business world, especially the business world. I think really anything, anything. If you're in the music industry, you have to immerse yourself with all the nuance and all the and all the opportunity creation i'll tell you the good news is the data coming out of colleges is overwhelming that recent college grads want to be in an office so that that which is good news for the world i would say right like that's a silver lining that the kids are going to reject that but um you know what's cool about this podcast rago is that you're the second musician i've talked to and as we've documented things over time um but you're the first person I've talked to that's kind of had multiple careers evolving at the same time. But the themes of the podcast, you mentioned mentorship, you mentioned uh, the career immersion piece, you mentioned it's relationship business. They're ubiquitous. Like of all the people I've talked to, they all kind of have this thread. Um, and you've given me a hypothesis because you said that I might, ha- I might have to write two blogs after this, which is about the immersion, career <laughs> career immersion, yeah. I think, has yeah. to become a topic that we start talking about. But also, um, you mentioned mentors, but you never mentioned, like, I went out and sought mentors. I have this feeling, I get a lot of people that ask me, or I hear tangentially, I want a mentor. I don't think people um, get mentors because they want them. I think that mentors find them because they're so enthusiastic about what they're doing and it's natural. And I like had that epiphany while you said, and then I had all these people mentoring me. It's like, well, yeah, like what you were fucking doing. Like, how do you not help that guy? Yeah. Well, and it's not even, you know, and I appreciate that. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the thing that, and, and I, I, I hate to like oversimplify it, but it's, I, in saying that like the world is small, don't be an asshole is, is huge. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a, it's a big part of it, but, but moreover, like I've just always been the kind of person that was willing to do what everybody else wasn't willing to do. And I've always just believed that if you seek the resources to learn something, I'm fully capable of learning anything. It may take me a minute. Uh, but like, I've never been afraid or pigeonholed myself in a way that, I, I, oh, I don't do that. Well, no, I don't, I don't do that right now, but like I have YouTube, like back up to, back up to when I started at CWS software, when, when I first started with them and I was doing support and I know we're maybe up against time here, but when we're, when we were, uh, I was doing the support side of things and they wanted to bring me into project management. They had this company that was a, a medical conferences company come to them and, and CWS stands for creative um, uh, creative workflow solutions, which was basically they were a cost occur rather custom workflow solutions. Creative workflow solutions is the sister company, but um, they did custom workflow development, data management, and they needed a project manager to manage this company that had come to them that um, basically needed a database built. And this was in 2007 or eight, like 
the technology wasn't quite where it is obviously now, but they brought me on. They're like, do you want to try and do this? They're going to need a, they're going to need a wireframe built. They're going to need to, you need to understand what their needs are. You need to be able to manage this team out of Hong Kong that was going to be building the, the website and the database for them. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll do it. And, um, you want to know how I learned the two main projects, products that I needed to learn to build it was YouTube. 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 I, I didn't wow. tell them I didn't know how to do it. I just said, yep, I'll do it. And I taught myself how to do wireframing basics 101. I taught myself project wow. management 101 and it was all on YouTube. And, uh, and you know, that company went on, they took their product and they went on their merry way and then they moved me into business I, development. But I, I, I just I, fully believe I, it, you know. I freaking love that. I, I actually have a quote for you here that I keep. I, uh, one of my favorite books is Robin Sharma's 5 a.m. Club. Okay. Good, good book. Well, I got a lot of inspiration from it. But he gives you these five rules for life. Rule number four is to have the results of the top five, 5% of producers have. You must start doing what 95% of people are unwilling to do. 100%. 100%. Like, it's like, well, and he furthermore goes on to say, just to give him credit, as you start to live like this, the majority will call you crazy. Remember that being labeled a freak is a price of greatness. That's absolutely. like corny to think about, helpful to read, empowering to feel. You know, like that's how yeah. I. Well, let's put it this way, Mark, right? You and I are both avid golfers, right? We haven't gone there yet. We don't have enough time to go yes. into our our golf craziness, right? I was there the day you shot your best score still to date. I, that is correct. I shot even par 71. That is correct. Yeah. How many times have people around you told you you're crazy for the amount of time you put into learning Insane. that game? Insane. And and, I can't. I actually don't talk about it in front of people. And, they and, think they think you're a deadbeat dad and a uh, and a <laughs> shitty and a shitty businessman. You know? But you know the one thing that you know that's that's the to me that's the same thing, and that's why to me like, and I'm going on a totally different. No, you're right. Here, you're that, right. Though. That's it applies. That, it, it applies there, and and that's honestly that's why I love golf in comparison to music because they're they're very similar in a lot of ways. They're very rhythmic. Is they're perfectionist. The perfection is unattainable. You can constantly get better. You're always learning new things. But you want to know the fundamental difference that keeps me sane and why I keep playing golf and why music, you know, I keep playing, but they're for different reasons. Nobody can go out on the golf course with me and tell me I didn't shoot a 69 or that they didn't like the way that I shot that 69. There's no subjectivity at all. All the effort that you put into it how is how good you're going to become at it. True. And with music, I can I can play you can put 85 guitarists in the same room and all play the same exact solo and have 200 people in the room listening to them and have infinite amount of opinions about who did it the best. Yeah. So so and and that's you know that's a beautiful thing about art and I think that that's great. Uh but it's a tough way to make a living. It's it's that's nice fun. to have it's nice to have the objectivity as as well as the subjectivity in your yeah. life. No, it's good. I need one the hell of a way to end the podcast, but real quick, any yeah. if you're gonna end it, do you have any wildly awesome stories to tell from like you working and touring as a sound oh, engineer? Man. Like anything like that like we yeah. can just end on? <laughs> yeah, sure. How's this? All right. So I became good friends with Sharon Osborne and Oz. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and uh, because OzFest would come through every single year at uh, Tweeter yeah. Center and they would take over for the week because it was basically three back to back nights with, yeah. you know, a, a, a setup, usually a two day setup and a one day breakdown. And, you know, I, I got to know Sharon because just a funny story. I had dropped something on the ground and her dogs had come over and started eating it. And so she sat down next to me. And anyways, so. The way that the tweeter center is set up is that the backstage is like a it's like a U. Yes. And so in the center is the stage. And then at the bottom of the U is where the, all the truck beds are. And then there are offices off to one side and then the kitchen off to the other side. And OzFest is one of the few times where there's so many bands playing that they occupy a lot of the state the space at the bottom here. So in order to get from where like staging was or where like the main electrical office was or the whatever to the kitchen or you had to walk through this like bunch of tents. So it's getting, you know, uh, towards showtime and I'm, I'm trying to make my way through this maze of 
pop-up tents and I open the the curtain to get to to the next one and there's Ozzy in his tidy whities standing up he's got his back to me and he's going ah <laughs> like full on doing like a full, warm up full on doing a warm up and he's he gets down it was like a comedy he gets down i'm behind him so i see him and i'm getting ready to get just i was like this and he goes down and he's looking at me between his legs with his tidy whities and says what the fuck are you doing in here jared get what has happened and so i like shut the curtain and 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 left but that was that was like one of the funniest things that that has happened to me that is that is so perfect my man thank you thank you yeah, and man. thank and you thank for you. coming on man i really appreciate it. i love your story um the the back half of this podcast is fire for young people i think yeah I you know they, like because the first half i think is very music oriented i think it's going to help a lot of people too that know that but the 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 uh the last two-thirds of this podcast is so applicable to whatever you're you're living so this is one of my favorite ones we've recorded to date and i figured who who would have thought we've been trying to do this for a while i know and, uh, Dude, I just want to say thanks again for coming on, and uh, I look forward to warmer weather and 18 holes and a beer together, my man. That sounds great, man. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing. You're doing a service for people, so I appreciate it. So oh, thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated, and Godspeed, and we'll talk soon, my man. <laughs>